Our scripture lesson this morning is the traditional Pentecost story from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. By the way, I love seeing those little flames that you all were wearing out there. I don't see any adults with those on, but a few of you children, if y'all want to wear that during the whole service, you can. I love seeing those out there. But we'll begin with Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Acts chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared uh, among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered. Because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just a few months after I arrived here at Faith Presbyterian Church, we did something that actually was probably a bigger deal than I realized at the time. We changed the Bibles that are in the pews. Up until that time, we had a a version of the Bible, a translation of the Bible called the NIV, the New International Version. And that's a perfectly good version of the Bible. But we decided to change it to the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, because Tom had been reading from the NRSV from the pulpit for, for years, and I read from the NRSV. It's a, a version of the Bible that we often use in colleges and seminaries. It's a, a version of the Bible, a translation of the Bible that we study. And there are countless translations of the Bible. There's literally hundreds of tra- English translations of the Bible. We think of them of trans- as translations, because they all are either translations or translations of translations of the original texts or the oldest texts that we have that are either in Greek in terms of the Septuagint, Latin in terms of the Vulgate, or or even some old versions that we found in Hebrew as well. And all of these versions that we have, whether it's the King James Version, the the new NRSV Version, any of those versions are translations of, of the original text that we have, or at least the oldest texts that we have. And with each translation, there are little variants. There are little ways that those who translate the Bible have interpretation from one text to the next. Sometimes the words change their meaning. Sometimes the meaning doesn't change very much at all. 
fact, I have a, an older text, a, a text that's based on an Aramaic version of the Bible that was supposed to be the original language that, that Jesus spoke. And that translation has quite a few differences, in fact. There's, for instance, you might remember there's that famous passage where Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Well, the Aramaic version that I have says it's easier for a rope to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Both sound very hard to me, but you can see there's some differences. In the creation story, the story of Adam and Eve, there are some translations that translate Adam as, as the word man, and there are other translations that translate Adam as the word humanity, more of an inclusive word, and maybe, I think, probably more accurate word for the first way that that, that word was used. There are times when it's just little nuances, and there are times when it's the whole spirit of the text changes. Something is lost or changed in translation. And in spite of how all of these translations try to get it right, I think all of us from time to time have our own translations that we like the best. For instance, there's a version of the, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians that says, now faith, hope, and charity, and the greatest of these is charity. And as you might know, I, I prefer the version that we read a lot. Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And in spite of how hard it is to understand that old English of the New King James Version, when I'm at a funeral, I always find myself reciting the King James Version of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. Something just about the, the spirit of those words, maybe it's because I've read them so many times before, have meaning for me. Each translation has sometimes the, the same words or sometimes the same meaning or sometimes different meaning and sometimes there are things that are lost from translation to translation. But the whole gift of the church, the whole gift of why we're here today of Pentecost is all about translating the Bible to a new world. That's what happened. It was there on that special day that we read about every time, every, every year about this time. We read that special story about how all of those Christians, all of those people who believed in God were gathered there together in one place and then something miraculous, overwhelming happened. The, the Holy Spirit came into the room and, and something like those tongues of fire landed on each person's head and they were able to translate the good news of Jesus Christ into a different language. To speak a language they had never learned and I like to think to maybe speak a, a culture that they never learned. To be able to, to, to translate the good news of the, the love of God to people that they had never looked at before, never met before, never learned about before. All because the gift of the Holy Spirit gave Gave them this miraculous power. Most of the time I often focus on that gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. I talk about how the Holy Spirit still does miraculous things every single day, and I believe that 100%. But today, instead of focusing on how the Holy Spirit works, I want to focus on the gift that the Holy Spirit gives us, the why the Holy Spirit did what it did. Not just how the Holy Spirit gives that gift to the people, but what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do on Pentecost. Because you see, it's on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit calls us to take the Word of God out into the world to people who are different than us. 
to take the gospel out into the world to people who look differently, who act differently, who think differently, who are different than us. And that's hard for us to do. We like to stay in our comfort zone. We like to talk to people who are like us. We like to stick with people who act like us, who look like us, who believe like us. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit called the church out into the world to cross boundaries, to cross lines that had been set up before so that the Word of God could be heard all around the world. And the Holy Spirit calls us to do the same thing every single day. Not just with tongues of fire, although that would be pretty incredible, but through little ways, through countless ways that we find common ground with the people who are different than us. I call them Pentecost connections. Opportunities for us to find common ground with those people around us who are different than us. The great theologian Jürgen Moltmann said that communication is always a gift from God. The ability to communicate with our neighbor, to the ability to communicate with the other, just the ability to, with our words, with our actions, with our heart and our soul, is always a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we try hard enough, if we look hard enough at our common humanity, we can find ways to communicate with people even though they seem like they are from the other side of the world. There's a great little story that uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross tells in, in one of her famous interviews. And she's this famous psychologist, you might remember, who wrote one of the authoritative books on death and dying. And she had a lot of uh, patients who were terminally ill and worked with them, learning about what they were going through emotionally and spiritually at the time of their death. And in her hospital, she was, found herself one day following along this, this orderly who was going into every room. And every time this orderly would go in the room, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross would follow in and find out that everyone in the room seemed to be at peace. Even though they were going through trauma, even though they were going through terminally ill issues, she found that they, they seemed to have this sense of peace after that person had left the room. And so she finally caught up with this custodian and asked her, what in the world are you doing to all of my patients? The custodian stopped and thought, oh my goodness, I must be doing something wrong. And she said, I'm not doing anything to your patients. And then she, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, no, 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 you're doing something right. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're telling them. And she said, well, what I end up doing is I just talk to them. Tell them about my own pain. You see, I've lost two children myself in my own lap. And every single day, I try to remember that God is still with me in spite of the pain that I've gone through, that God still loves me and God never left me alone. And that's what I share with those patients in the hospital. Even though they don't look like me, even though they might come from different places, we all have this common ground. We're all human. We all need to remember that we're loved. And in times of trial, we need to remember that we're not alone. It was a little secret, this common ground that this orderly, this ordinary person could find. But I think of it as the gift of the Holy Spirit. Finding common ground with someone who is different than us. Finding common ground with someone who is the other in our world. Whether it's our neighbor or whether it's even our enemy. We are called on the day of Pentecost to go out into the world to cross those artificial boundaries that we create and tell others that good news that they need to hear, that God loves them and God always will. 
For some reason, believe it or not, I think the church has had a hard time doing that recently. Not just this church, but the the church universal. We've had a hard time doing that, going out and crossing those boundaries. Maybe it's because we live in a world where we try harder and harder to point out those differences between us, to, to define ourselves over against the other. Or maybe it's because we as a church just don't like being on common ground. We like, like every other human, to be a little bit higher than those other people around us. You think about the missions that we have in our church and in churches around the world. We often go and try to help people who need us, who need our money, who need our energy, who need our time. And we don't think about ways that we actually need them. That the Holy Spirit can speak through them and teach us to help us move, to help us grow. We don't want to find common ground. We like that uneven ground where we have the power and we have the glory. But that common ground reminds us that the Holy Spirit is found everywhere, even in places where we least expect. And to spread the gospel the way they do on Pentecost, then we have to be willing to humble ourselves, maybe even look foolish from time to time. Remember that from the end of that passage, the people who were watching the people on Pentecost thought, these people are crazy. They've lost their minds. They look like they've been drinking too much. We have to be willing as Pentecost people to go out into the world and humble ourselves, maybe even look foolish from time to time in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You all know I like to tell stories about myself where I look foolish. The story I'm about to tell you is one of my favorite stories to tell. But I truly think of it as a Pentecost moment in my own life. I was volunteering at a hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina, Levine's Children's Hospital. And I would go in every day. I wasn't a chaplain at that time. I was going in and I would just take toys to the kids and play games with the kids. And it was always a fun day. Well, one day I came into the hospital and the child life experts said, Brad, we've got a special situation here. A family has come into the hospital. They have been in a car accident. And there are two boys who are here in our hospital. There's a mother over in the adult hospital. And the father is trying to to go and visit all three of them at the same time. And it would be so great if you could just stay and play with one of the boys so that the father could divide his time and visit the other members of the family. She said, there's just one problem. They don't speak English. They speak Spanish. Well, I have to tell you, my ego got the best of me in that moment. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. I'm really good with kids. I'll take care of this. And I I grabbed a, a, a board game out of the closet and headed off down the hallway But as I was walking down the hallway, I realized maybe this is going to be tough for me to explain to someone who doesn't speak English. Because the name of the game was Tumbling Monkeys. I don't know if you've ever played Tumbling Monkeys before. It's a board game where there's a little monkey tree and you put all these sticks in the middle of it. You dump the monkeys in the top and as you pull the sticks out, one by one, the monkeys fall to the bottom. As I reflect on it now, Uno or something like that probably would have been easier for me to explain to this child. I went into the room, though, full of courage. I saw the father and nodded to him. He saw my badge and and left the room and and just ushered me over to his son before he left the room. And and Carlos was sitting in the bed. And so I thought, all right, how am I going to explain tumbling monkeys to Carlos? And so I did the first thing that every American does when they're trying to speak to someone in a different language. I spoke loudly and I spoke slowly. I said, do you want to play a game with me? 
Carlos didn't budge, didn't say a word. So I tried it again. Do you want to play a game with me? Carlos didn't make a sound. So I tried to mime it. I said, this game is called Tumbling Monkeys. I assume that was the international sign for Tumbling Monkeys. He still didn't make a sound. So finally I just gave up and said, all right, Carlos, we're going to play this game. You'll catch on. I put the, mon- the tree together. I put all the sticks in the middle. I dumped the monkeys in the top and I, I pulled the first stick. And I pointed to him and he reached up and pulled a stick out too. And I thought, maybe he's got it. I pulled another stick. He pulled another stick. I think, by George, he's got it. And I am good. (laughs) I figured out how to do this. I've communicated to this child. He doesn't speak English. I don't speak Spanish, but we're playing this game together. I pulled out another stick. He pulled out another stick. And I thought, my goodness, I've got it. This is unbelievable. I must have some sort of spiritual gift here, this ability to communicate across languages. And I pulled another stick. He pulled another stick and some monkeys fell and we grabbed our monkeys and And I said, my goodness, this is unbelievable. I could probably write some sort of thesis, some sort of PhD paper about the international language of play. I was so excited. I pulled another stick and he pulled another stick and I thought, oh man, you know, right here in my hands with these monkeys, I have world peace in my hands too. I mean, just think about the boundaries we could cross if we could just figure out a way to to play these kind of games with each other. I pulled the last stick. He pulled another stick. All the monkeys had fallen down and we gathered all our monkeys together and I said okay Carlos here's what we're going to do I know how to count a little bit in Spanish so I said we count our monkeys I said uno dos tres cuatro cinco seis siete ocho I have ocho monkeys and that's when Carlos picked up all of his monkeys and said I have ten monkeys (laughs) Carlos spoke English the whole time well, I felt a little silly. I don't have to tell you that. I was thinking, well, there goes my PhD. Uh, I don't need to write the United Nations about world peace, and I sure hope nobody saw what I was doing in here, bouncing around like a monkey. I played the game a little bit longer, and then finally I peeked over and saw the father walking back into the room, and I knew it was time for me to go. And so just kind of hanging my head, I walked out the door, and I said, I've left the game for you and Carlos to continue to play. And that's when he grabbed me looked me right in the eye with a little tear in his eye and said, gracias. That's when I realized the father was the one who didn't speak English. And in spite of all of my efforts, I had somehow communicated something to him, bouncing around like a monkey. I had communicated to him that here in this hospital, we care about you. Here in this hospital, We love you. Here in this hospital, you are not alone. All by just looking like a fool. And that's what God calls us to do on Pentecost. To be willing to go out there in the world to humble ourselves, to use not just our Pentecost voices, but our Pentecost ears, our Pentecost hands and feet, our Pentecost hearts to spread the Gospel to other people by daring to look at someone who is different than us and say, I bet there's something between us where we can find common ground and try to translate the love of God through our words and our actions. After all, that's how the church got started. 
In fact, that's how Christianity got started. The great God of the universe was trying to translate to each and every one of us that God loves us, that God always will, and that God will forgive us. And so God translated that through a word. The word made flesh and that dwelt among us. And so every single day of our lives, we are still called to be Pentecost people, to follow that Jesus Christ out into the world, to cross those boundaries that are put before us, even when it takes courage, even when we have to humble ourselves, even when we have to look foolish. The Pentecost of so many years ago, the Holy Spirit of our lives calls us still. That mighty wind is blowing us, blowing us to places we've never been before. And our calling, if we are courageous enough, is to follow to the glory of God. Amen.